Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Why don't you grab your Bibles with me, please, and turn two places to begin with, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, and Hebrews 12. Matthew 28 and Hebrews 12. Listen, y'all stay engaged because God's not finished working. He's not finished moving. All right, Matthew 28, Hebrews chapter 12. They're going to be on the screens. From the New Living Translation, it says, uh, He, being Jesus, took Peter and James and John, and, and Jesus became anguished and distressed. Anguished and distressed. And Jesus told them, verse 38, My soul, the soul of our Savior, is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus was in so much pain, he thought he was going to die before he could get to the cross. That's what that says. And he said to the disciples, stay here and keep watch with me. Father, would you add your blessing, your anointing, your illumination on your word today, not just on the hearing and the understanding of it, but on the doing of it in Jesus' name. So let me ask you a few questions. How's your life going? Everything, everything perfect so far? You making progress in your spiritual life the way you want to? Are, are you satisfied in the relationships that you have? Are, are you always thinking clearly and making good decisions? Or are there areas in your life where maybe you feel like you've hit a wall? Maybe you feel like you're stuck in some aspect of your life. I would venture to say that all of us feel that way about some area of our lives at one time or the other. And it's not likely something that you're just going to get through and then it's going to be over. As you continue to walk on this journey of life, you're going to continue to find different areas and aspects of your life that are just hard. They're just difficult. What you might not realize is that you that we all have a soul problem. We have a soul problem. We have problems in our minds, in our in our will and in our emotions. That's what a soul is. So that's how you think, that's what influences your decision making, and that's how you feel. That's the emotional roller coaster that you're on. Now for the purposes of this series, I've been calling this, we've been, we started, we did a standalone message on July 4th, and here we are, week like 6 or 7 or 8 or whatever, God's got us parked here because he wants his children free. We tasted it this morning. We've tasted it this morning, but there's more. There's more. So we've been in this series called The Path to Freedom. And for the purposes of this series, I've been calling it Chains. And I've been telling you that Jesus died, and when he died, he broke those chains. And he wants you to be free from those. But I want to reframe it for a minute. I want to make sure that everybody understands what we're talking about. What if I said that Jesus died to remove the mental and emotional limits that are happening in your life right now? What if I said that Jesus died so you could be free of the baggage of your past that you keep dragging around with you? 
What if I said that Jesus died so that no matter what other people have done to you, have said to you, have said about you, that it doesn't have to prevent you from moving forward and it doesn't have to dominate your thoughts? What if I said there was a way for you to live in your real life in a way that reflects that you really believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? How would that change your life? And maybe more importantly, can you imagine what life would be like without those limits? Can you imagine what your life would be like without those boundaries, without the friction that you feel slowing everything down? Can you imagine what life would be like if you weren't pulling all that baggage? Can you imagine peace? Can you imagine true confidence that's rooted in your complete and utter dependence, not on your own strength and wisdom, but on God's power? Can you imagine freedom? Can you see it? See, Jesus not only died to purchase our freedom, he lived to show us how to walk in it. So last week we started to look at the specific steps that Jesus took in order to push through the pain of his soul and to get to the freedom that awaited him on the other side. And in the passage we just read in in, uh, Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus did three things. When his soul was overwhelmed, as ours gets, our mind, our will, and our emotions, when we get overwhelmed, this is what Jesus did. Three things. He embraced the pain, he rejected the shame, and he focused on the gain. Those three things are what Jesus did when his soul was crushed. Now, we talked about embracing the pain last week. Jesus looked at the road that was in front of him, and for him, it meant that he was going to have to take upon himself the punishment for every sin of every person who had ever lived for all times. The wrath of God is what he was facing. And, and he realized in that moment three important truths that, that were going to help him get to the next step, help him get to obedience and eventually get to the freedom that awaited the other side. He realized in that moment that this was God's will for him. He realized that it was going to eventually lead to a great outcome, but he also realized that the path he was going to have to take was going to be painful, and that all three of those things were true at the same time. But once he understood that, he embraced the pain of that path, and he moved forward in peace to see God's will accomplished in his life. And we pray that God would give us the courage to embrace the temporary pain that might be involved as we work towards healing so that we can enjoy the lasting gain that's on the other side. Now, today I want to talk about the second of those things that Jesus did. I want us to talk about rejecting the shame. Rejecting the shame. Let's look at what that meant for Jesus and then let's figure out what that means for us, okay? Part of the pain that we're going to have to embrace and work through and push through is the enemy's attempt at shame and guilt and condemnation. The, the, The cross was not only a horrible way to die, it was also an embarrassment. As a matter of fact, it was a curse. It was a curse. I want to show you Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23, if, if someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree, then verse 23 says, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body the same day for anyone who's hung is cursed 
in the sight of God. Galatians, Galatians in the New Testament, verse three, verse, chapter 3, verse 13 says it this way, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, and we just read it, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus knew that dying on a cross was going to make him cursed. He did it anyway. Jesus knew that dying on the cross was going to separate him from God. He did it anyway. He knew that people were going to taunt him and humiliate him, embarrass him, rip his clothes from his body, ridicule him, question his calling, question his character, question his identity, call into question the validity of his ministry, his place as God's only son. He did it anyway. Once Jesus made the decision to embrace the pain of the path that lay before him and walk towards God's future for him, he he made the choice to reject or to disregard the shame. He knew it was going to be shameful, but he said, this is going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, he's standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the word literally means olive press. That's what he was experiencing right in that moment. He said, the pressure of this moment, the pressing that I feel on my soul makes me feel like my soul is going to explode. But I know this is God's path for me, and I'm not going to allow anyone to shame me out of following God's path to freedom. I'm not going to let someone's uh, attitude, somebody's words, somebody's actions against me prevent me from doing God's will in my life and finding the joy that awaits me on the other side of obedience. So let's look at it again. Jesus was experiencing this overwhelming pain in his soul. So what did he do? He embraced the pain of the path that was in front of him. He got through it by focusing on the good stuff, on the gain that was on the other side. But look what he did. He rejected the shame. It's not that he wasn't aware of it. It's not that he didn't sense it. It's not that he didn't hear the voice of shame speaking to him. But in that moment, he realized that shame's voice was not the most important voice to listen to. He didn't listen to what shame said about him. He refused to be defined by the shame. And he settled within himself who he was, what he was doing, why he was doing, why he was doing it, and what was waiting for him on the other side of the cross and on the other side of the tomb. So listen, I don't know what your chains are. But I'm coming to realize that for a lot of people, it's not the pain of the path that prevents them from walking it. And the potential freedom in their future is is not lost on them either. They understand that there's a better thing that waits for them down the path to freedom. I am beginning to realize that what hangs us up is the shame. It's the shame. Shame always accompanies your chains. Shame always accompanies your chains. As a matter of fact, shame may be the number one obstacle to you getting free. But if we're going to be able to reject the shame as Jesus taught us to, 
we have to understand some things about shame. So you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that all of our chains, whatever's holding us back in our lives, are rooted in sin. Either our own sin or someone else's sin against us. And I want to go, so I want to go all the way back to Genesis and look at the very first sin in human history. And let's see how fast shame shows up. Okay? Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read the first seven verses. The serpent was the, the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve said, of course we can eat the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you'll die. That's not what God said, but that's what she said he said. The serpent said, oh, you're not going to die. I mean, not like die, die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some, she took some of the fruit, she ate it, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Well, hey, that didn't take long, did it? The Word says, in that moment, in the moment of their sin, two things happened. Their eyes were opened to good and evil, and they suddenly felt shame. They believed the lie of the serpent, and the result was shame. We need, we need to learn three things about shame today so that we can reject the shame and move forward down the path to freedom. Here's the first thing. Shame is a lie. Shame is a lie. See, the enemy has got a good thing going. He's figured out how to work both ends of the equation. He will shame you. He, he will shame you to talk you into sinning. And then when you sin, he will shame you for sinning. It's a win-win situation for him. What did he say to Eve, or at least imply to Eve? He said, oh, uh, I thought you wanted to be like God. Oh, I thought you could make up your own mind. Oh, I thought you had some decision-making in this process. I, I, I thought you were smart enough to see that God is playing you. I thought you could see that he's keeping something from you. He's shaming her into making a decision. Listen, how many times has, has the enemy said stuff like that to you? Oh, I thought you were a real man or a real woman. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you were grown. Oh, I thought you had some power. thought you had a little bit of authority in your life. Oh, I thought you could do what you wanted to do. Oh, I thought you could handle stuff like this, but I, I guess you can't. Oh, I thought you were smart enough to understand what's really going on that other people don't see, but I guess not. Right? And then when you actually fall for it, when you cave into the shame and do what he's trying to get you to do, then he tells you, oh, you can't ever tell anybody about this. You can't tell folks about this because now, now you, you did this. Now you're broken. Now you're dirty. Now, now you're weak. I can't believe you fell for this. Nobody else, nobody else has a problem like this 
Nobody else ever has a problem with what you have a problem with. Nobody else would ever be dumb enough to do what you did. I know that this was what somebody did to you, but somehow it's your fault. Somehow it's your fault. Somehow you asked for it. Something about you is so wrong and so sinful that they thought that that they could do whatever they wanted to do to you. You just got what you deserved. They're going to think you're an idiot if they find out about it. They're going to think you're a sinner. They're going to be so disappointed in you, especially given the position that you're in. You, You didn't deserve the position you're in anyway because you're a fraud. You're a hypocrite. If they find out what you're really like, you're done. They'll kick you out of the church. Because they don't want your kind in their church. These are nice people who don't sin. They don't want your kind around them. Nobody wants to be friends with somebody with a past like yours. They'll exclude you and push you out. Isn't that right? Now, I want to pick up on that last one for just a second. Because that is such such a, a huge thing for all of us. They'll exclude you. That's the shame. You, he wants you to keep that secret because he does. You, 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 nobody wants to be excluded. Now listen, I want, you, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else that I'm going to say, please hear this. Shame is rooted in a fear of rejection. Shame is rooted in a fear of rejection. Now, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be rejected. That's natural. We are social beasts that's the way we're, we, we were created. But the enemy will amplify our natural and healthy fear of rejection to create shame. And if he can get shame to take root, then he's done. He can kick back and watch what happens because he doesn't have to work to get us silent and excluded because shame will cause us to exclude ourselves. But shame is a lie. It's a lie. And that's just one of the many lies the enemy uses to keep us in chains. But listen, he has to use lies because the devil has no authority to do it himself. Listen, did you know that between the time that Jesus was crucified and the time that he rose from the dead in the resurrection, he went and took authority away from the enemy? You know, he wasn't just like chilling in the grave. He was, he was doing something. In Revelation 12 says he went and took the keys of death and hell. Romans 6 says, says that because of the cross that we are no longer bound by the law of sin and death. Colossians 2 says that our spiritual enemies have been disarmed and that Jesus shamed them publicly. Like he, he, he paraded them down the spiritual streets of heaven, uh, showing them off as prisoners of war. Do you know what that means? It means your chains have been broken. It means your chains are unlocked. If you're a follower of Jesus... The devil has no legal right to hold you captive any longer. There are no more locks on your soul. Say, John, I get the the spiritual reality, but the reality in which I live is full of chains. If If there are no locks on my soul, then 
then what's the deal with these chains and why are they still here? They're held together by your shame. The only lock on your soul is the shame that you put there. The enemy's been disarmed, right? Isn't that what Colossians 2? He has no more weapons. He has no actual weapons. The only thing he can use against us is lies. The only thing he can use against us is whatever we allow him to use. He's out of locks. He has no functioning locks. But he'll convince us to put one on ourselves. And and when we believe the lies that he tells us to create shame in our lives, he's not keeping us bound. We are. But you have the power. You have the authority in the name of Jesus to be free from the chains that are in your life. But you have to reject the shame and every other lie that you've bought into. You're like, John, but you don't understand how huge this is in front of me, how huge this obstacle is. It's a house of cards. Yes, it's big, but it's built on a lie. The enemy has no weapons. But we, the weapons of our warfare, are powerful. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of the stronghold of shame and fear and everything else that the enemy builds up in front of us. But once the truth of the Word of God lays on it, once we lay the sword of the Spirit on it, once the breath of the Holy Spirit blows on it, it'll come crashing down to the ground because shame is a lie. It's a lie. The second thing I want you to know about shame is that shame separates you from other people. Shame separates you from others. Until they ate of the tree that fruit, Adam and Eve had always been in perfect alignment, in perfect unity, in perfect intimacy. Nothing had ever come between them before. And then sin enters the equation. But it wasn't the fig leaves that were the first thing to separate them from each other. It was the the tree. It was the tree. It says they ate the fruit And then the shame of their nakedness made them hide. Who in the world are they hiding from? It's got to be each other. I'm convinced they went to opposite sides of the tree while they were sowing their leaves together. Why? What what evidence do you have, John? Well, look at what Adam said. When God showed up and said, where y'all at? Adam said, I hid Because I was naked. Not we. Previously, they'd done everything together. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He said, I was naked, I went and hid. Not not we, I. A word of isolation. His shame caused him to hide himself from his own wife. Shame is still separating us from other people today, even those, maybe especially those closest to you. The question is, though, why? Why would the enemy go to all this trouble about shame? Why would he use shame to try to keep us 
from other people. Well, I think there's a, a really clear explanation for it in James chapter 5, verse 16. You know the backside of this verse. You know the bottom half. We don't always talk about the top half. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Right? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why don't we talk about the top half of that? There's healing in confessing your faults one to another. There's healing. Let me say it this way. If he can keep you quiet, he can keep you bound. If he can keep you quiet, he can keep you bound. See, John, so you're telling me that everybody should just tell everybody else everything that's ever happened to them. No. Not everybody, but somebody. And, and not everything. Just the stuff that's separating you from others. The stuff that you're trying to keep hidden with your thin little fig leaves. But I want you to remember, shame's a lie. Shame is a lie. Somehow, we've bought into the lie that everybody else's life is perfect except ours. We are the only people with dishes in the sink when we left for church this morning. Y'all ain't going to own up to that, are you? Right? Y'all, y'all, you think you're the only one that's got a sock basket where the, none of them match the other ones. We think everybody else's life is perfect except ours. And, and, and what do we do when we meet a new person or we go to a new church or we get a new job or we, even we get a friend, in air quotes, on social media? What, what do we do? We get all impressed by them. We get all impressed and, we, and, and, and how perfect we assume their lives are. And we hold our breath, hoping they don't see our flaws. Hoping they know that our kids are crazy sometimes. Hoping they don't know that we don't like our spouse some days. I mean like moments, small fleeting moments of some days. Mostly her, not me. I'm just going to move on. We, We just hope that we're married at the end of church. And we hope that they don't see us for who we really are. It's the old fear of rejection again. But it's a lie. Pastor Craig Rochelle says we impress each other with our strengths. We connect with each other through our weaknesses. Why is that? Because everybody's got them. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has chains on some aspect of their lives. And the shame that you feel over your chains is keeping you from freedom. It's been keeping many of us in our seats on Sunday mornings. Not engaging in worship. Not engaging in what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives and in our church and in our services. It's the shame. That's keeping us from community. It's the shame that's keeping us from friendship. It's the, same, the shame that's keeping us from discipleship. You say, but people will reject me if they know what I struggle with. If they know what's happened to me. If they know what I've done. Well, okay, let's go with your line of reasoning for a second. What if people do find out what you've done? What if people do reject you when they find out? Which people are they? Weak, immature, 
petty, small-minded people. But what do you care what they think anyway? Like, what are they doing in your life anyway? Listen to me. They were going to leave you anyway. They were just waiting to create a reason if you didn't give them one. They were leaving your life anyway. The kind of people you want in your life, real people, will not reject you for telling the truth. As a matter of fact, the honesty will be refreshing. And it might make them comfortable enough to share their problems with you. Didn't the scripture say, confess to one another and pray for one another? Why? Because freedom tends to breed freedom. Don't let shame separate you from other people. It's time to get real with the people in our lives. And here's the last thing. Shame separates you from God. Shame separates you from God. The only people in the Garden of Eden who were surprised at the nakedness of Adam and Eve was Adam and Eve. Like the animals already knew they were naked. Like the day before, God had already walked in the cool of the day with them pre-fig leaf. He knew they were in their birthday suit. The only people who were surprised that they had been naked this whole time was them. And what they do? They ran and hid themselves from the one who made them that way. It was the shame that changed their relationship with God. See, there's so many people that are stuck in their relationship with God because they believe their sin has, has driven God away. That he doesn't want them around. Like, he might let me be saved, but, but that's about it. He's never, never going to allow me to be used for kingdom work. I've disqualified myself. I'm, I'm never going to be empowered by his spirit for service. That, that my sins and my chains and my habits and my mental strongholds and the emotional pain that I feel and what's been done to me has, has disqualified me from ministry. People think, well, God, God's going to reject me if I try to come to him because he's so holy and I'm so sinful. Listen, that is a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God knew Adam and Eve had sinned and he's the one who came looking for them. They were the ones who ran and hid. God came to see where they were at. Shame isolates and separates. Adam and Eve got ashamed of themselves and hid themselves from God. But it's God who's calling out to us. Calling us to repentance, not to condemnation. He didn't show up to hammer them. He showed up to find them. His conviction is drawing us back into relationship so that we can repent and have our relationship restored with him. So he can then help us get free and stay free. That's why I wanted to, to bring you some word after we had an incredible experience with the Lord around the altars and, and, and in worship. Because this ain't going to be the only time in your life that you might be in chains. 
You might be free as a bird today, but there will be other things in your life that will fight to bind you and hold you down. And you need to understand that God is on your side. That He is not put off by your chains. He's not surprised by your chains. He wants to help you get out of those chains. Jesus gave His life for this. Staying away from Him is the ultimate disrespect for what He did on the cross. It's like refusing to eat the buffet after somebody pays the bill for the whole restaurant. It's not going to cost them any less if you don't eat. It's just disrespectful to the person who paid the price. And Jesus paid the price. So listen, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? Y'all believe that. He died on the cross for, for our sins. That forgiveness is offered to those who repent. Right? Whether it's before they're saved or after they're saved. Right? Y'all scaring me, right? We can't get forgiven after we save because I got some stuff. On, right? Right? So when, whenever we sin, <clears throat> he was the sacrifice for our sin. And when we come to him in repentance, then we're forgiven. I want to show you this in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Uh, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So that was our spiritual condition before we found Jesus. He said, then God made you alive with Christ. Thank the Lord. For he forgave all our sins. Listen, verse 13 is a great verse, but thank the Lord there's a verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Listen, he didn't just forgive us when we repented. He justified us. It's not just, hey, yeah, you did it, but I forgive you. It's I'm wiping the record clean. As far as I'm concerned, it never happened. It never happened. So if what's holding you back is a sin that you've already committed, but that you've repented of, you're holding yourself hostage over something God is choosing not even to remember. We're hiding in the bushes. And he already knows about it. We already repented of it. He's already forgiven it and committed never to hold it against us again. So why in the world do we think he doesn't want us around? Why do we think he prefers that we live a little quiet, miserable, isolated life, detached from the body? He loves us. He loves us so much, it killed him. And his heart for us is to enjoy the rich and abundant life of freedom. That's the life he died to give us. But we have to reject the shame. It's a lie. It's a facade. It's a smoke screen. Shame will keep us from even attempting to get free. If you surrender to the shame, if you just say, nope, I just, it's just too much, I just can't risk it, I just can't tell anybody else about it. If you surrender to the shame, you are settling for a life of bondage. Shame lives in your secrets. Shame lives in your secrets. 
confession brings healing and freedom. Don't let shame keep you from healing. Don't let shame keep you from the healer. Don't let shame keep you from finding community or submitting to the Holy Spirit. Freedom is calling to you. We have to embrace the pain of the path sometimes. We have to reject the shame. But we have to make sure we go running towards the freedom that Jesus offers to us. Every one of us. So listen, I am not going to ask you to stand. We're going to do something a little different today. Sometimes the awkwardness of standing, we don't really know what to do with ourselves. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to ask Corey not even to sing, just to play. And for the next few minutes, I want you just to talk to the Lord about what's in your life that's holding you back. What's that thing that you just thought, well, I guess I'll just always have this in my life. I'll just always be like this. Not if you don't want to be. What's the burden that you just think you're always going to have to bear? Don't you want to be free? So for the next few minutes, I just want you to sit still and quiet. Please don't go running to the door. Give me about three minutes, four minutes, and just hear what the Holy Spirit says to you. This altar is open. If you want to come and pray, just get up and come and pray. If you want to pray at your seat, pray at your seat. If you want to pray like on the down low, nobody knows you're praying, that's cool. You do you. Do you. Whatever. And the altar is open for you to pray about anything. Listen, if you come to this altar, you're not, it's not the walk of shame. You ain't confessing that you've, you're some great sinner and have deep, dark secrets. You, come, you got a decision to make, you want to pray, come pray. You got a healing in your body, you got a, a health issue that's going on in, in your life, somebody's life, come pray. Relationship issue, whatever the deal is, just come meet the Lord about it. And then we'll be dismissed together in just a minute, okay? Take a deep breath and let's pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.